Well, open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And when you find that, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, toward the end of your Bible, go ahead and stand up with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's Word. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3. We're just going to read uh, three verses this morning. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Hmm. Wonder why he talks about waging war. Because we still live in a world that has demonic opposition that we have to war against. So, again, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. I mean, if you read the surrounding verses, uh, that was just a, a very short segment out of obviously a much longer chapter. So if you read the context, Paul was saying in this passage that he was preparing to visit the Christians in the city of Corinth. And when he got there, he was going to address some of the disobedience in that church. If you didn't already know this, the Corinthian church was in many respects a very uh, immature church with uh, a lot of issues that Paul had to deal with. So if you read through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of pretty strong uh, criticism and then correction and instruction toward the Corinthians. So that's what he was dealing with there. And he, was, he told them in this second letter to them that when I come, I'm going to be dealing with some of the disobedience in your church. And he said he was not going to go about this with fleshly or human means. Rather, he was going to approach this in the spirit, meaning that he would address these issues with divine power and with spiritual means. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we fight our battles as well, in the spirit and not according to the flesh, because the enemies that we war against are unseen and spiritual in nature. So we fight our wars, not as the world fights, but with spiritual and divine power. Now, I want to review a, a couple of those verses. Uh, verse 4 again says, The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what is a stronghold? Well, stronghold in the, uh, the ancient Greek in which that was written was the word akurama, and it means a fortress or a stronghold. And by implication here, the, the more expanded meaning or the use of that word uh, is used figuratively of a false argument in which a person seeks shelter or a safe place, my safe space, right, to escape reality. And that comes from the HELPS word study. And the HELPS word studies goes on to say that that word is also used figuratively for a prison, a prison. So I want you to help me out this morning. Let's have a little bit of dialogue. Um, can you think of any strongholds in people's lives? 
Addiction, of course. That's a huge stronghold. Unforgiveness, absolutely. That's a stronghold. What else? Pride, yes. Greed. Discretion. Oh, depression, yes. Well, you're preaching my sermon this morning. I'm going to hit on all these. So maybe I'll just wrap this up right now. No, uh, what was the one over here? Bitterness. So all this is really good. All these are great examples of, of strongholds that get in and can control people's lives. So you're, you're right on point with all these. Now, notice that Paul says in this passage that the divine power that he's talking about in which he operated would demolish these strongholds. Okay? In other words, these strongholds are demonic in nature and take up residency most of the time, in the mind. In the mind, which verse 5 speaks to. So let's look at verse 5 again. We take captive, captive. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This takes a little bit of energy because, you know, the mind in the default position will go down every road of depression, every road, every negative thought, every perverse thought, every thought of anger and bitterness and resentment and all that. That's the default position. That's the easy road that the mind goes down. So you have to make your mind, make your thoughts obedient to Christ, and that's something proactive that you have to do. If you just let your mind just dwell on anything, it will hardly ever go down the right road. You have to make it obedient to Christ. So this is something proactive that we have to do. Okay? So that word thought there, we take uh, captive every thought, is the Greek word noema, and it means thought or purpose. Thought or purpose. So a thought, it means in its expanded definition, a thought, purpose, design, refers to the mind, the heart, soul, and feelings. All right? Likewise, note that the M-A suffix, this is out of the helps word studies as well, note that the M-A suffix, they write, which underlies the result of the thinking. In other words, the personal verdict that comes out of using the mind. See, when, you're, when you dwell on something, that's going to have an impact on your life and the direction of your life. Proverbs 23.7 in, in the King James As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Exactly. So your mind, your your, your life rather, your life will tend to go in the direction of your prominent thoughts. I'm going to say that again. Your life will tend to go in the direction of your prominent thoughts. So our battleground then, folks, is most often in the mind. See, that's where Satan tries to gain access. He tries to manipulate our thoughts and our attitudes and our emotions or feelings. And this is where the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul once again instructs us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I heard a saying one time that I think really speaks well to this. Um, A preacher I heard a long time ago um, does anybody remember Dwight Thompson? Remember that guy? Yep. Yeah, a few of you. Uh, I, I used to listen to him when I was a very young Christian, and uh, I liked him. He was energetic and funny. And Anyway, he said something one time that stuck with me. 
And this is probably, gosh, 25, 30 years ago I heard him say this. And it's just something that stuck with me. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. Okay, what's he mean by that? Well, again, just because it's in your mind, you don't have to let it stay there. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So again, if we don't do that, this is how Satan can gain control and set up a stronghold in our lives and, and where the demonic can then to re, begin to wreak havoc simply through, look at the screen, undisciplined thoughts and attitudes. Undisciplined thoughts and attitudes is one way the demonic can set up a stronghold in your life. But this is also where, by the way, on the flip side of that, this is also where those demonic influences can be kicked out and replaced with godly strongholds. Okay? We can, it's possible to set up a godly stronghold. Now, let me give you an example of what, of what I mean. I'm going to read to you a quote out of a book that was written, I think, back in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken, called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. It's, it's a novel. Okay, and it's about it's all about the demonic. It's all about the war in the heavenlies that we fight against the the demonic. So if you've never read that, it's a very engaging novel. You might check that out. But I want to give you a quote out of that book. He writes, I'm here, Satan. This is a character in the book. Okay, and this is quoting the character in the book. And he says, I'm here, Satan. He said, I can't see you and maybe you can move faster than I can, but I'm still here. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I intend to be a thorn in your side until one of us has had enough. So in other words, what this person was saying is, yeah, I've been battered a little bit by you. Um, I've been downtrodden. I've been trampled by you some. But you know what? I'm still here. And I'm still going to be a thorn in your side. And I like that. See, this is an example of of a godly stronghold. Someone who makes a strong determination that he or she is not going to be controlled by the demonic, but rather will fight against it to advance God's kingdom. Praise God. All right. So as that few minutes as my sort of introduction, uh, I want to go now to continue what we've been doing these last few weeks and talk about different kinds of demonic spirits mentioned in the Bible. I'll give you another two or three uh, again this morning. So the first spirit that I want to deal with today is a, something called, the Bible calls, the spirit of jealousy in Numbers 5.14. Now, before we get into this, I want to just clarify something for you. So is there really a demonic spirit of jealousy, or is that just simply a feeling, feeling of jealousy? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to go to the ancient Hebrew. Um, I've referenced there Numbers 5.14, and in Numbers 5.14, it talks about when a spirit of jealousy comes over a man regarding his wife. Now, some translations, and this is what really frustrates me about some translations of the Bible where the translators put in what they think ought to go there rather than just staying true to the ancient Greek or Hebrew word. So some of the translations do translate it a feeling of jealousy. But the actual Hebrew word 
refers to a spirit of jealousy. So here's the word ruach in the ancient Hebrew, and it means simply spirit, wind, breath, like the breath of God. Okay, it's referring to something spiritual. It's a spirit. Okay, so it's the very same word, by the way, that's used when the Bible talks about the spirit of God coming upon Moses. It's the same word. So it's referring to a spirit, not a feeling. So it's not just a feeling or an attitude, but a literal spirit, a living entity that inspires those feelings or attitudes. Let's just look at the terrible manifestations of the spirit of jealousy, and you know it's demonic. Let's look at a few of them. I have, these are not in your notes because there's too many to list in your notes, uh, but I've got you know, all these listed with the scriptural references beside them. So uh, obviously envy, which is related to jealousy, revenge, anger and rage, hatred, cruelty. Yes, cruelty comes out of, out of jealousy, a spirit of jealousy. Strife, murder. And I have reference there for you, Genesis 4, verses 4 through 6. Anybody know what that story is? Cain and Abel, exactly. Uh, you know, Cain murdered his brother out of jealousy. So jealousy can lead to something as horrendous as murder, but then also spitefulness, contention, competition, divisions, etc. Obviously, by that list, you know this is something demonic. All right, <clears throat> but on that note, I also want to make this observation too. In James, and this is the New Testament now, in James 3, verses 14 through 15, it, it talks about the demonic nature of where jealousy comes from. So let's read this together. But if you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast in it or deny the truth. Such, quote unquote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The Bible says very clearly, jealousy is demonic. So this is something that we tend to write off as like, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's a natural feeling that comes over a person in certain situations. Well, yeah, it can be natural. That doesn't mean it's right. If, if you just followed your natural tendency all the time and you just never, never restrained your natural tendencies, you'd be, and so would I, you'd be capable of all kinds of hideous things including murder, if you just let yourself go and didn't restrain anything. We're capable of anything if we don't restrain ourselves and walk according to God's word. So yes, jealousy is inspired by a demonic spirit. That's thus why the Bible calls it a spirit of jealousy. All right, so what's the antidote then to a spirit of jealousy? Well, Romans 12, 15 tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Listen, folks, even if you have to force yourself, we need to be willing to offer congratulations to those who have achieved something notable or when something good happens to someone else, even if we don't feel like they deserve it or we feel like we deserve that promotion or whatever else more than that other person does. Let's say, as an example, that you're in line for a promotion and some other person maneuvers 
to get that promotion and they get it instead of you and you know that they don't deserve it and you do deserve it, what are you going to do? You'll cuss and throw a fit and, and have a hissy? Or are you just going to trust God and, and bless them and offer them congratulations? I've heard stories of people that have done this and then God then moves them out of that position into another company uh, that they're extremely... Fru- they like, I'm remembering one person right now that John Bevere talked about in his series, The Bait of Satan. And this person, the way he tells it, um, this person who was a black man got overlooked for a promotion that this other person got. He felt it was racial. Now, whether or not it was, I guess that's irrelevant. He felt it was racial, but he just said, hey, he went to that person that got the promotion. He said, hey, I'm going to be the best employee you've got. I'm going to support you just at anything you need. I'm your guy. And rather than to, to take the offense, to take the bait, he just congratulated that person on the promotion, said, I'm your guy. I'm going to be the best employee you, you've got. And guess what? Somebody approached him from another company and said, we want to hire you. And this guy, the way that I remember John Bevere telling the story, this guy was, he didn't like change. And this person came to him with another job offer. And, and he said, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty happy here. I've been here for years. I'm comfortable in this position. You know, I... I don't think that I really would entertain the idea of, of changing jobs. And, and these people really wanted him. And they said, well, can you just sit down with us with an interview and let us make you an offer? And he said, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to take it. But, but look, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to go pray about it. And they said, fine, take all the time you need. So they got together. And uh, when they did, they sat across the, the table and um, they pushed a piece of paper across to him with an offer. And he looked at that offer and he had to hold himself back because it was like something like, I can't remember, I think it was like double or triple what he was currently making. And he was so stunned by it that he didn't say anything. And then they thought that he was like not very happy with the offer, so they upped it a bunch more. So, and, and he reminded them, he said, okay, look, listen, I'm, I want to remind you, I'm a Christian. I just, I don't, I don't make snap decisions like this. Let me go pray about it and, and talk to my wife about it. And so he did. And then he felt like that the Lord was saying to him, son, you responded to that situation in a way that pleased me. And this is your reward. This is my blessing. Take it. So he took it, and I think, I think it ended up being like four times the amount of money he was making before. I mean, it's huge. And uh, so, so, yeah, when we can just humble ourselves and offer congratulations, even to people we don't believe deserve it, and we deserve it instead, see, that's a humble spirit, and you're, you're wrenching loose any, any tentacles of the spirit of jealousy on your life. See, holding back congratulations is the spirit of jealousy. And when you can fight against that, you wrench loose those tentacles of that spirit of jealousy from your life. All right, let's move on to another spirit this morning. I think I've got three of them in your notes, if I'm not mistaken. The next one is a spirit of haughtiness. Now, that's just an old English word for a prideful spirit. The spirit of haughtiness, according to Proverbs 16, 18. So look at, let's look at some of the manifestations of how the spirit of haughtiness presents itself. Well, arrogance and smugness, pride, a hardened heart, scornful, 
strife and contention, stubbornness, obstinate, what Proverbs 29.1 calls being stiff-necked. That's an old term for just being stubborn. Just being stubborn. Uh, Self-deception, self-righteousness, huge manifestation of the spirit of haughtiness, rebellion, rejection of authority. Uh Uh-oh, I've go go off on that one for a while. Rejection of God's commands and unconcerned about others. That's the spirit of that's how the spirit of haughtiness will present itself. You know, also too. If you read the book of Ezekiel and some of the other prophetic books, it talks, even talks about you know, how women um, adorn themselves and how they, they carry themselves. And it talks about one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is how the women adorn themselves and how they carry themselves with their, with their necks stretched up like this in that posture of haughtiness. That just prideful attitude. And the Bible tells us that that was one of the sins of Sodom. One of the things that God found detestable in his sight. So what's the antidote to the spirit of haughtiness then? Well, clearly, humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Um, And that's what we want to strive to do is to obey that command to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. But what are some practical ways to do that? I mean, it's one way to have humility in your heart, but humility must always express itself outwardly, you see. So what are are some of the ways that humility expresses itself outwardly? Well, first of all, we have to understand and recognize our own tendency toward wickedness. Boy, I got a big hearty amen on that one, didn't I? So, all right, let me, let me try again. We have to recognize, folks, our own tendency toward wickedness. Because no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, man, how many of you are like me? I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I don't hardly ever miss a day of my devotional time with the Lord because I know what I'll get into and I'll start veering off track if I don't if if I miss a day or two or three I start you know my attitudes my actions just you know it your your flesh starts to take over and when your flesh starts to take over it's it's never going to lead you in a good direction so how many of you like me if you miss like two or three days of your private time with God you just recognize um I am totally in the flesh here anybody yeah yeah So we have to recognize our own tendency toward wickedness is the first little principle here of walking humbly before the Lord. But then also under kind of that umbrella, we then need to seek to obey God impeccably, to obey God impeccably. See, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, that's an expression of humility right there. You don't do things your own way. You seek to do it God's way. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, but secondly, there's another principle related to this, and that's to put yourself in the place of others. That's a way that you humble yourself. Try putting yourself in the place of others. What's that old Indian saying? You know, walk a mile in my moccasins or something like that. Walk a mile in my shoes. And uh, by the way, some of you don't know this, but Jim in our congregation, has just spent the last week living on 
the street, basically, among the homeless. So Jim set up a little, little tent among the little tent city that we have here in Columbus. Where, where exactly was that, Jim? Knoblet Park. So how many, how many homeless people are staying down there? They're everywhere now. Yeah. So just as a way to kind of identify with people less fortunate than him and to have kind of a voice to be able to speak with them and, and deal with them on their level, he decided to just go live among them. for a whole. So he's lived for the last week, he's lived in a tent among the homeless. Just to be able to relate to them and have an opportunity to speak into their lives and to minister to them however he can. That's what I'm talking about. That's, see, that is... An example of this right here, being concerned about others. So the spirit of haughtiness is unconcerned about others. And, and I referenced there Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. And that's another passage where God talks about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. What were the, one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? Typically, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of all the perversion. And of course, that was a big part of why they got destroyed. But it's not the only part. One of the things that greatly displeased God about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is it said they made themselves, they, they gorged themselves on food and were unconcerned about others. That's one reason why God was very displeased with that city to the point of destroying them. Gorged themselves on food but unconcerned about others. So what Jim did was showing concern for others by going and living among them and relating to them on their level. So that's showing concern for others. So that's a way that we humble ourselves, folks. We, we recognize our own tendency toward wickedness. We seek to obey God impeccably and then put ourselves in the place of others. The, the Bible says to be willing to associate with people of lowly stature, which is exactly what Jim was doing. Be willing to associate with people of lowly stature. So, good job, Jim. That's, I believe that's the, the Lord just really bearing fruit in your life. Praise God. And, and he didn't do that for applause, by the way. I mean, uh, he, he, I think I'm, I may have been one of the few people that he even mentioned that to. Uh, but he went down there to minister to them. And I'm sure he probably got ministered to as well just by doing that because they're sowing and reaping. Isn't, isn't that right, Jim? Praise God. All right, here's the next one. And this is a big one here. Uh, the spirit of heaviness, as mentioned in Isaiah 61.3. So what are the manifestations of the spirit of heaviness? This might already be kind of obvious to you, but uh, here's the list. Excessive and prolonged mourning. So you just can't seem to get past certain things in your life that bring about. And, and look, things happen that, you know, are tragic sometimes. I know people that tragic things have happened to. And there is a, a natural time of mourning that is healthy that we need, to, we need to be able to process through. Okay? But when that just goes on and on and on and never resolves, it's just prolonged and excessive, that may be a spirit attached to that. Because... Every person that I can think of, even people that have lost children, especially if they're in the Lord, go on to, I mean, it's like 
that hurt is ne never quite goes away when you lose a child. But it, you can get to the point where you're living in a healthy and happy way again. You always miss them. That's always there. But they go on to live happy and healthy and fruitful lives most of the time. If that's not happening, then they, there could be a spirit of mourning or spirit of, of heaviness that's attached to that. So likewise, extended sorrow and grief, insomnia or worry related to that spirit of heaviness. Self-pity. Okay, so in that term self-pity, what's the first word? Self. I've told you before, in fact, I've mentioned this many times. I'm going to bring it up again on this point. Peter one time tempted Jesus to pity himself by trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And that was one of the very few times, actually it's the only time I can remember, where Jesus referred to a person as Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So Jesus, being fully God, but also fully human, living in a human body, he was going to experience agony. The emotional part of Jesus was not looking forward to going to the cross, but he knew that's why he was born. That was his mission, to pay for the sins of mankind. And I'm sure that he was tempted in his natural self to not go through with it. In fact, I know that's true because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said pretty much exactly that. Father, if there's a plan B, pretty much is what he said. If there's a plan B, if we can do this a different way, then let this cup pass from me. Remember that? Because he was in great anguish in the garden. He was anticipating the agony that was about to come upon him. And he was in great emotional anguish. So I know that those, those years leading up to Jerusalem and the cross, he had to be going through emotion, some emotional um, distress and anticipating that. And then... Satan steps in and speaks through Peter. Do you hear what I just said? You know, even godly people sometimes can give in to a spirit and Satan can speak through otherwise godly people. And in that moment, Peter gave in to a spirit and Jesus recognized it and said, get thee behind me, Satan. So I want to say all that to say this. Jesus didn't tolerate self-pity. He didn't tolerate it. He jumped on that with both feet. I think we need to have a similar attitude. You know, there are times where we grieve. There are times when we're disappointed and we have to process through some emotions. But we cannot and must not live in self-pity because it's focused on self. Let's continue with our list Rejection, a broken heart, despair, dejection, hopelessness. A follower of Christ should never be hopeless. Even in your worst situation, there's always hope in the Lord. Depression, suicide or suicidal thoughts, which is demonic. And then inner hurts, torn spirit, referring to just emotional damage, emotional trauma. Okay. These are all things that sometimes people have to process through through the help of the Holy Spirit and maybe the, the help of a trusted friend and, and the prayers of the saints 
But these are all overcomable through the Lord Jesus who loves us. All right, so let's talk about the antidote to this. I want us to understand the importance of shaking yourself loose and shaking yourself back to attention when your mind is veering off into an unhealthy direction. See, that's what David did. David went through some times that were very challenging that uh, caused him to despair, caused him to despair. And here's what he he wrote as recorded in the book of Psalm uh, chapter 42. He said, my tears have been my food both day and night, while men ask me all day long, where is your God? So they added insult to injury, didn't they? And then David goes on to stir himself up. He he says to himself, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let me read you another related passage. This is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is actually a prophecy about the coming Messiah. This was written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. But this speaks of Jesus, the coming Messiah. But there's a phrase in here I want you to to focus on. And I'll point it out as we, we get to it. It's a longer reading here. So let's read this together. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the, pri- of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and get this, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So what's the antidote to that spirit of of heaviness? Well, it's praise. Exactly. It's praise. And that's the time you want to do it the least. That's probably the time that you need it the most, however. See, it it is possible, folks, to shake yourself loose from any spirit when you sincerely call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I want to read to you what Jesus said, and he's referring here, this is recorded in Luke 4.18, but I want you to know uh, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 61 right here that we just read. So look what he says. He's applying this to himself, Okay. Again, something that was written 700 years before he even walked the earth. Now he's going back and he's saying, pretty much, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And he says this, but the spirit of the Lord is on me, referring to himself, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Folks, listen. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. Which, by the way, is one of the the unique aspects of the Bible compared to other religious writings that the Bible has all kinds of prophecies. 
most of which have already come true. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 when it wrote about the coming Messiah. Okay. I'm going to come back to that point, but I want to just take a minute here, a couple minutes, and talk about how demons gain access. We've been talking about a lot about demonic strongholds throughout this teaching and this series, but I want to give you a little bit of insight about how these demons can gain access to people. Okay, so you're ready for that. This is not in your notes because it's kind of a longer list, but you're welcome to take a picture of the screen or whatever you want to do, or I can send you the slides. But this is important. So how demons gain access. Number one, through sexual perversions, including pornography and including premarital sex. Because, look, when we think of the word perversion, we think of something really sick and twisted. But I want you to understand that anything outside the will of God is sick and twisted. So it could be heterosexual sex, but outside of marriage. But... If you're violating the word of God, it's a perversion. What's a perversion mean? It means a twisting and perverting of something that would be otherwise good. So sexual perversion is a twisting of something that would otherwise be good when it's kept within the confines of the way that God has ordained it to be used. Does that make sense? So why do I say that sexual perversion is a way that demons have access? Well, think about it. The Bible tells us that when two come together in the act of, of a sexual union, the two become one flesh. That's where the concept of soul ties, by the way, comes in. If you've ever heard that term, a soul tie, okay, that pertains to um, having an emotional and almost spiritual connection to someone through a sexual relationship. I think this maybe might happen with women more so than men, but I think it happens on both sides. But women, oh, I didn't plan on going off on this topic as, as long as I'm doing this right now, but uh, maybe somebody needs to hear this. Um, so just bear with me. I know this is a sensitive subject, but... but can you allow me a little bit of time on this? Okay, so women are much more emotionally involved in a, a sexual union. That's why I think it was Billy Graham that once said that women use sex to get love, but men so often use love to get sex. So often, a woman will have a sexual relationship with a man and then it doesn't work out. I, I've known women, like people in my own family have been like this, where a woman gives herself to a man outside of, outside of marriage, and then, you know, she, she gets married someday, but then she has this strange attachment to this man that didn't even treat her that well. That, you know, they broke up, but she, that was her first experience with a man, and now she has this strange emotional attachment to this person. And in some cases, I, I know women that this really affected their marriages. Because And it, when that happens a, a number of times, it's like these little, little bits of their hearts are taken and given to this, this man. And likewise, a man with a woman. And that's why when there's so many of these sexual uh, relationships prior to marriage, you bring all this unnecessary baggage into the marriage that creates problems. That's why God says not to do it. Because he, he wants to prevent you from these problems that you bring into the marriage. Okay, So these soul ties... 
can be developed with someone who's not your spouse because of a sexual relationship you had with them in the past. Does that make sense? The two shall become one flesh. So it may be a good idea, and I've done this myself, and I've taken other people through deliverance ministry, where we just denounce and break those soul ties. And we name the people. We name as many people as they can think of that they've had sexual relationships with and just break that soul tie. Now, that, that term soul tie isn't used in the Bible. I want to clarify that. But the concept is there because the two shall become one flesh. And that's why the Bible is very serious about saving yourself for your husband or your wife someday. I even read stories about people that, that they, they didn't even have a sexual relationship with anybody else other than their spouse. But they did it premaritally. And it created, created problems in their marriage, and even though they'd only been with one another. But they, they violated God's commands. They did it premaritally, and, they, and then they got married, and it created problems. So God's way is always the best. Okay? God's way is always the best. Okay. I didn't plan on that. So that, that may be a Holy Spirit uh, little, little side journey that I did right there. Um, if, if you're having, if there's anybody that's having any problems along those lines that you're just having a problem with, with, uh, having this soulish attachment to somebody who's not even in your life anymore because of a relationship that you had in the past, you might need what we call deliverance ministry. You might need to get with someone and let's just take you through the steps of cutting off those soul ties. And there's a way to do that. So if there's anybody in here like that, you're struggling in that, in that way, come talk to me later. We can talk about getting together and going through a little bit of deliverance ministry and taking you through the steps and getting free from that. Okay, I know that's a very private issue. So, um, but yeah, that's something that can definitely affect your future relationships or your present relationships. So that's something that, that God wants to help you with. Okay, he's not, he's not mad at you. He's not judging you. You're forgiven. But sometimes with consequences to our actions, even though you've been forgiven. Am I making sense? Okay, let's continue on here. Unforgiveness is another way that demons gain access and create strongholds. And you all said that earlier, that unforgiveness can create a stronghold. You know, in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus tells a parable of the unmerciful servant. And he tells a story about this man who owed this king an, an enormous sum of money that he could never pay back by himself. And the king brings him in and wants to settle accounts with him. And the, the servant says, uh, Master, be patient with me and I'll pay you all. And you know what they did back then, right? If you couldn't pay a debt, they threw, threw you in debtor's prison in the hopes that your family will pay it off for you and get you out of prison. And, and if you couldn't pay it, you stayed there. Or, or you were an indentured servant and you became a slave to someone. So this, this, this servant comes before this monarch and says, Master, um, be patient with me and I'll pay you everything. Well, there's no way. The amount that it gives, there's no way he could have paid it back in 10 lifetimes. So the, the master had mercy on him and, and forgave the whole thing. But then that servant goes out and finds a fellow servant that owes him a small amount of money and takes him by the throat and chokes him and says, pay me what you owe me. And he gets the same response. Give me a little bit of time and I'll pay you everything. And he says, no, he has him thrown in, thrown in debtor's prison. And the other servants see this, report it to the king. The king calls the servant back in and said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then he throws him in debtor's prison. And the Bible says that he turns him over to the tormentors. Now, there's been a little bit of debate on what that means. Does that mean that God will revoke 
our salvation because the Bible, Jesus said, this is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Does that mean that God revokes our salvation? Well, I don't believe that's the case because God can forgive even unforgiveness. His grace can extend that far. What I believe the tormentors are, are demons. The tormentors are demons. If you refuse to forgive, you're opening yourself up to demonic assault. That's why people that hold on to forgiveness, they start having emotional and mental issues, relational problems, because they're bringing baggage into their future relationships and their place of work and into their church. And, their, and they start having all these emotional and relational issues. That's the tormentors. You've been turned over the, to the tormentors. You get rid of them by forgiving and denouncing the bitterness and the unforgiveness. Is this making sense? Okay. Let's keep going. Keeping forbidden occultic objects in your home or your car or your place of business at work. Do not keep forbidden occultic objects. They are accursed things, the Bible says. Do not keep them. Get rid of them. If you have anything related to new age or the occult in your home, smash them, throw them away, burn them, get rid of them. And then repent for having those occultic things in your home. Next one is participating in occultic practices like consulting mediums, being in seances, practicing any kind of witchcraft, even the white witchcraft, which doesn't matter if it's called black or white, it's all evil. Satanism, etc. The next one is new age, and that's simply all these other ways to try to experience the spiritual apart from Jesus. Okay, all these, you know, Eastern religions and what have you, all the new age stuff. Okay, next one is uh, drugs for recreational purposes, uh, hallucinogenic drugs. You know, the, the drugs make the mind vulnerable to seducing spirits. Okay, see, the Bible tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self control, not to be out of control, by the way. God wants your mind intact. God wants you to use your mind. He wants your body to be in control. He wants you to be in control. He doesn't want you to be out of control. And hallucinogenic drugs cause a person to be, in some respects, out of control so that they're now they're vulnerable to seducing spirits. What else we have got, got here? Oh, music. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, music is designed by God to have an emotional and spiritual influence, which is why, by the way, that God has ordained worship to include music. That's God-ordained. So doesn't it make sense then that Satan will offer up a perversion of God's design for music to, to create substitutes or alternatives that are focused on not the worship of God, but the worship of self, the worship of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? The worship of American idols, hello, as in idolatry, and even the worship of Satan himself through music. And it, yeah, oh yeah, that goes on too. If, if you don't know that, you're naive. It doesn't, it doesn't, the music doesn't have to say, hail Satan. There's all kinds of other nuances in music that glorify the demonic. All right, and then 
other ways that we open, open ourselves up to the demonic. We already talked about jealousy. Um, you know, if, if the more you give into that spirit, the more it's going to embed itself in your soul. The more you give into the spirit of jealousy, the more it's going to embed yourself itself in your soul. And it's very difficult to get rid of some of these things once they have their tentacles around you. Okay, it takes a little bit of effort. So don't give into that stuff. Then rage, which can lead to murder and violence. And man, once you give into that, once you cross certain lines, you can never go back. So do not give into rage. Okay? And even if it doesn't lead to murder and violence, sometimes even saying certain things, you can't take those things back. You can't take them back. Sometimes words can have a lifelong impact on people, especially husbands and wives and parents to your children. Man, just please watch what comes out of your mouth. Please don't say things that are demeaning to your children, like you'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. Don't, don't say those kind of things. You can never take those things back. And then let's talk about the last one, and that's ancestral access. Demons can get um, access through your ancestry. Let's talk about that for a moment. How many people can you think of in your circles or that you know of who have had struggles with addiction, as an example? And that trait seems to be passed down in the family line. Well, is that just learned behavior? Well, how can it be when some of these people who, who struggle with drugs and alcohol today have seen that same sort of thing in their family when they were growing up, behavior by their parents or one parent that they hated that brought great destruction into the family, but yet they find themselves repeating the same sort of things that they hated growing up. How does that happen? How does that happen? This provides one example, I think, of how demons get access to even children. And we see at least two cases in the New Testament where Jesus cast demons out of a child on at least two occasions. So this ancestral thing provides at least a little bit of insight on how demons can get access to children. Now, I don't have all the answers on that issue. I won't pretend to. But I think one answer is that unquestionably it has something to do with the parents or grandparents or something in the family line. And in some cases, these harassing spirits get access to children through sexual abuse and through trauma of some sort. Sexual abuse and trauma. And while some degree of counseling can help some, folks, ultimately, if there's a demonic attachment, then ultimately these, in, these demonic entanglements have to be addressed by a person who is not afraid to confront the darkness. Amen. And we all ought to be equipped to confront the darkness when we see it. I want to refer back to Jesus' words when he was quoting um, Isaiah 61 and applying it to himself. So we're going to reread that. And I'm going to make a different point on this as we start to come down home stretch here. Again, in Luke 4:18, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hallelujah. 
Remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. But we as his followers, ladies and gentlemen, have to appropriate his victory. Now, here's the the point that I want to make about this bringing it up again. Note that Jesus isn't on the earth preaching anymore. So how does God proclaim liberty to the captives now? Look at the screen. God uses people to accomplish his will and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Hallelujah. So you can just point to yourself right now. It's through me. God proclaims liberty to the captives through me, through you. And as a matter of fact, this line right here, you you can legitimately apply this to yourself in the new covenant age. Because, and, and you can literally put your name in here, because he has anointed me, Andy Robbins, to preach good news to the poor. He has anointed Juanita to preach good news to the poor. He has anointed Bill and Kim to preach good news to the poor. He has anointed all of you to preach good news to the poor because in his authority and through his authority, he's delegated authority to you and me and said, now go make disciples and go set the captives free. And remember, he delegated his authority to the disciples when he sent them out on their missionary assignments and said, cast out demons and heal the sick. So, yes, God has anointed you and me to preach good news to the poor and proclaim liberty to the captives and release the oppressed. Hallelujah. And that means, that's my last point before I get to my wrap-up, that means that some of us are going to have to be a little bit more proactive in rubbing shoulders with the non-believers and not being afraid of having contact with with people that are not yet in the family of God. Because you might be in their circle through divine design to bring liberty to the captives. All right. Let me hit the high points of this just as a a wrap-up. There's several of these that I want to give you, and then we'll pray. So the first one is a stronghold is like a fortress where the demonic can take residence in a person, often in the mind. The demonic can gain control through undisciplined thoughts and attitudes. Therefore, we must make our thoughts obedient to Christ. Thirdly, the weapons of our warfare are spiritual in nature, and they have divine power to demolish these strongholds. Next, the spirit of jealousy is potentially devastating because of all the other sins it can lead to. We battle against it by rejoicing with those who rejoice, even if we feel like they don't deserve it. The spirit of haughtiness or pride is addressed by obeying God impeccably and putting ourselves in the place of others, and of course also recognizing our own tendency towards sin. That'll keep you humble. The spirit of heaviness is overcome through praise and thanksgiving. Live a life of praise and thanksgiving. And then, of course, we listed how demons can gain access. And lastly, God uses people to accomplish his will and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Donna, can you go up and play something? And we're going to get ready to pray here in a moment. I want to say once again before we pray here that if there's anybody in the room that 
you maybe have some of these demonic entanglements, these soul ties in particular. I know that's something that not everybody wants to like publicly um, uh, admit to, but if, if you need some help in that area, you're welcome to come to Donna or myself and we'll be happy to help in that way. Um, there, there, are, there are methods that God has given us to break uh, these strongholds. And I'm going to be talking more about that. I think I have one more teaching on this, so I'm going to elaborate a little bit on that, you know, ways to, to break these demonic strongholds, which I've given you some already throughout the course of, uh, of this series. But we're going to wrap it up next week, and I'm going to give you a little bit more information about how to break some of these demonic strongholds and how God can use you to break demonic strongholds in other people's lives. And that's ultimately what He wants. He not, not only wants you to be free, He wants to use you to help other people get free as well. Will you stand with me and let's pray? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.